reading this morning is from Proverbs chapter 2, and we'll be reading verses 1 to 11. That's Proverbs 2, verses 1 to 11. My son, if you accept my words and store up my commands within you, turning your ear to wisdom and applying your heart to understanding, and if you call out for insight and cry aloud for understanding, and if you look for it as for silver and search for it as for hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom, and from his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. He holds victory in store for the upright. He is a shield to those whose walk is blameless, for he guards the course of the just and protects the way of his faithful ones. Then you will understand what is right and just and fair every good path. For wisdom will enter your heart, and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will protect you, and understanding will guard you. Proverbs chapter 2, or open your Bible app at Proverbs chapter 2, as we think together about this whole subject of wisdom. But I want to just set the scene for you as we open Proverbs. Uh, But it's not a scene in Proverbs, it's a scene on a desert island. The survivors stagger their way onto the shore of the desert island. They were coughing and spluttering uh, from the salty water that had threatened their lives. And they were thankful to be alive after the shipwreck and were faced with the challenge that they had to find fresh water. The blazing sun was beating down on them and the temperature of the day, day was rising, but they were faced with a choice. Which way should they go? If they go directly inland, they might just come across a stream, or better still, they might find some other people who can help them. There's nobody about at the moment. The alternative would be to walk around the shoreline, and and at least they'd keep the sea in sight, and uh, maybe they'll stumble eventually across a stream as it runs into the sea. At least that way, they wouldn't risk getting lost, as they might inland. But on the other hand, inland, they might reach some higher ground and There might be other people, I've said, or at least they might find some fruit whose juice they could drink to quench their thirst. Which which way should they go? They're faced with the basic choice of what is wise here. Stick to the shore they can see or go inland where they can't. What, What would you do? I'm not sure. If they choose the right way, then they could thrive. But if they choose the wrong way, they would eventually be full of regret and perish with the words, if only, on their lips. That's the problem with wisdom, isn't it? You see, the problem with the idea of wisdom is that as soon as I say, isn't it good to be wise, it sounds so disconnected and actually really rather boring. The whole idea of wise sounds as though you're a fun sponge, just switch it off and walk away. Uh, wise is what is the safe option. Wise is what uh, risk-averse middle-aged people tend to opt for. Uh, quashing adrenaline-hungry risk-taking options of youth. That's what wise means. But actually, that's not what wise means. You see, when you understand wisdom properly, nothing could be further from the truth. Wisdom mostly means you can thrive. Next week, we're going to look together on Sunday mornings at the wonderful Old Testament book of Proverbs. Uh, Sorry, of Ecclesiastes. This morning, we're looking at Proverbs. 
Ecclesiastes is a key book in what's called the wisdom literature of the Old Testament, of which there are a number of books in the Old Testament. But this morning, we're going to just prepare our hearts and inspire one another by looking together at what wisdom is and why we should be excited about wisdom. And that's a really great question to ask right now, why we should be excited about wisdom. Not because we are bedraggled survivors of a shipwreck washed up on a desert island searching for water, no, with a number of choices, but because actually we do have other choices that are coming in this next week or so. As September starts and a new school and academic year kicks off with the new normal of COVID-19 restrictions now well in place, we've all got decisions to make every day about what is wise and what is not and what we should do in response. Because for some of those choices, they have much bigger repercussions than we could ever have imagined they would have just a year or so ago. The book of Proverbs is a great place to start asking the question, what is wisdom? You know, the book of Proverbs is quoted over 60 times by the apostles in the New Testament. And the book of Proverbs is a really helpful way to get a handle on wisdom. If you've not read it or not read it for a while, why don't you just set about trying to read it through in the next couple of days? It's not difficult to read. The first nine chapters I'll introduce to you in a second, but, but from chapter 10 onwards, it's just a series of sayings. And you see, the importance of wisdom is summarized for us in Proverbs chapter 4 and verse 7 that says this, the beginning of wisdom is this, get wisdom, though it costs you all you have, get understanding. In other words, if you could buy anything at all, wisdom is the thing you should buy. Of course, you can't buy wisdom, but, but that's the priority that the book of Proverbs wants us to have on the whole idea of wisdom. Do you try and read the book of Proverbs at some point in the next week or so? But right now, as we look at, at chapter 2, it's a really easy intro for what it has to say to us, because it starts with the question, with, with the words, if. If. Now let me read the first few verses again. My son, if you accept my words and store up my commands within you, turning your ear to wisdom and applying your heart to understanding, and if you call out for insight and cry aloud for understanding, and if you look for it as for silver and search for it as for hidden treasure, then, well we'll come to then in a minute, but let's just pull it apart for a second because, you see, we all realize, don't we, that wisdom sounds just a bit too much like hard work. And the reason why Proverbs approaches the first nine chapters as it does is because it recognizes that most of us are pretty switched off to the idea of wisdom and it being boring and, and, and so on. Before it gets into the list of pithy Proverbs in chapters 10 right the way through to the end, which are really interesting to read, um, it kind of makes an appeal to us so that we read these proverbs that come out life from a whole aspects, that cover different aspects of human experience. This uh, book is aimed at two different types of people, and it's worth me asking, which one are you? It is, in the first instance, aimed at young people, uh, people who are on the verge of adulthood who don't yet know, and are characterized in the book of Proverbs as being 
maybe a little bit lazy or even perhaps gullible when it comes to what is wise, though obviously that's not true for all young people. It's aimed, first of all, at young people. You'll see that uh, in the way it's framed in a second. But the other people it's, fra- it's directed to, the other people who are part of its audience are wise people, people whom theologian Don Carson describes as teachable lifelong learners who are ready to have their minds sharpened, their hearts softened, and their characters shaped to be wise, righteous people. If you're not a young person, or maybe even if you are, does that sound like you? Someone who is a teachable, lifelong learner, ready to have their minds sharpened, their hearts softened, and their characters shaped by what to be wise, righteous people. There are the two uh, audience targets of the book of Proverbs, young people who need it, wise people who need it more. Actually, there are two alternative characters in the book of, uh, that the book of Proverbs is directed to. One is the sluggard, who kind of is someone who can't be bothered, uh, but uh, just wants to, but is, might just be convinced if you persuade them. And the other is the fool, who isn't, in Old Testament definition, someone who's just stupid, but is, in the Old Testament definition, someone who is just hard-heartedly immoral, who absolutely doesn't want to know and resistant to wisdom. And of course, none of us want to be a sluggard or a fool, do we? So uh, it's the two uh, young people and wise people who are the people in view. And the way Proverbs appeals for uh, the the young people and the wise people to be interested in wisdom is to approach wisdom from a whole lot of different angles, which is what the first nine chapters are about. This will unlock it for us. Uh, Either as uh, parents to their children, mostly a son to the father because of the way the responsibility was passed on in their culture, which is what chapter 2 says. Or, or, or otherwise, it's approached using someone called Lady Wisdom and how she cries. It's not a sexist caricature. It's just a, a way of explaining wisdom. And in chapter 9, actually, Lady Wisdom is uh, set in contrast to the woman folly. And uh, they two kind of fight it out together in chapter 9. Maybe you can read it. Here in chapter 2, that kind of is a great intro for us, we have the parent-to-child picture. And it's, it's an if-then argument. I've said already the word if and then will come up in a second. And it's really powerful. Let's just check whether or not we're listening. Giving wisdom, chapter 2, verse 1, says this. My son, if you accept my words and store up my commands within you. Think about the picture that's being painted. Will you? What does that look like? How do you do verse 1? When you were a kid, or maybe you're still a kid, when you were a kid, uh, did you ever have one of those relatives who you didn't see very often, but when you did, just before you left, they'd, they'd slip you a, a couple of coins as a kind of, buy, that, buy a treat for yourself with that kind of, kind of relative? I had a, a couple of elderly relatives like that. I distinctly rem- remember visiting an elderly uncle and auntie on holiday. And just as we were about to leave, my uncle would sometimes, I, I, I had to work hard not to expect it, would sometimes just slip me uh, a coin uh, to buy myself a treat. Uh, and what did I do with the coin when he handed it to me? Well, the first is I received it. I accepted it. I didn't say, no, I'm not taking any money from you. No, 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 I received it. And it was probably 50p, but 50p was a lot of money in the 1970s, okay? 
And then I would store it, literally, I would treasure it. I'd put it into my pocket, or, or maybe if I had a wallet, I would make sure I put it in there as we got in the car, and I would think about what I could do with it. That is, I would recognize the value and start to think about how I could use it. I would receive it, and I would store it, I would treasure it. It's easy to describe with money. But what does it look like, verse 1 of chapter 2 of Proverbs, to do that with wisdom? Well, it looks like this. Look at verse 2. Turning your ear to wisdom and applying your heart to understanding. Literally, turning your ear means inclining your head to get it. So you hear wisdom coming and you just listen up, just a little bit harder. Do you know that sense when, when you, there's something that's really captured your attention? You just want to focus on it and listen hard. That's, that's what he's describing here. And then putting your heart into using it. Once you've heard this thing that's coming, you don't just let it wash over you like the weather forecast, like so many of us do, but, but you take it in, you listen to it, and you think, oh, okay. So that means that. Can you see? And that means I should do this. That's the start. But it's not just sitting and waiting for it to come to you. No, that's not how you handle wisdom. When it comes to wisdom, actually, verse 3, there's a hunger that goes with it. Look at verse 3. And if you call out for insight and cry aloud for understanding, when was the last time that when it came to a, a problem or an issue, you stopped and you said, I really want to understand this? Please, can somebody help me? Please, can you explain to me how this is approached so that I can, can, can handle it properly? When was the last time you did that? But it's not just words. There's activity too. Look at verse 4. There's another if here. And if you look for it for silver and search for it as hidden treasure. In other words, to receive wisdom and to treasure it will will lead you to search for it, to dig around and find it for the answer. Do you know if the kids talk this morning what we could have done? We could have done a treasure map and put an X on the sand somewhere and dig a hole in the side. Well, that wouldn't have gone so well, of course, because, yeah, it's not sand. But you get the point. That's the picture that's being painted here, that it's a treasure that you look for and search for and dig out. You know, my kids uh, laugh when I tell them this as I do fairly frequently when they say, okay, Google, sorry, sorry, I'll just wait for you to switch off Google. Okay, sorry. It's the same mistake Stuart made a couple of weeks ago, wasn't it? There we are. Okay. Uh, but when, when, when we have that discussion about that particular voice-activated uh, mechanism, I will often tell them that when I was at school in the days before the internet, how does it go? My family will all now be shouting at the screen. If you didn't know something, you went to the library and you looked in the Encyclopedia Britannica. If Britannica didn't have that information, then you would look for a specialist book on the subject. If the library you were in didn't have a specialist book on the subject, you went to a bigger library. And if there wasn't a specialist book on the subject uh, in the bigger library or one that you could order, then you might just manage to find an expert somewhere whom you could write to and wait for the reply. And if you couldn't find an expert, then no matter what the information was you wanted to know, you just weren't able to find it out. I remember when I was a student doing a project at the end of my degree, uh, needing just before the internet properly was underway, 
I needed a particular piece of information. I had to write to an expert, and I waited three weeks for a reply, and that was just normal in those days. The point was, if you wanted to know, you really had to work at it. You really had to dig and look for it, like following the treasure map. These days, of course, you just ask Google. And that's really useful most of the time. But the danger is, and I think Google's great, by the way, but the danger is that it makes you believe that the information is not valuable, that wisdom is just one of those things you can pick up and put down when you don't need it anymore. And that's not true. Wisdom and understanding, says the book of Proverbs, are a treasure. They really are a treasure. And they are a treasure because where, of where wisdom and understanding will lead you. All those ifs we've seen in verses 1 to 4, well, now they lead to a then. Look at verse 5. Then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. Now, okay, uh, this is the point at which the, anyone who's skeptical who's watching will will be tempted to switch off. Yeah, yeah, this is a church after all, and it had to all lead to God in the end, didn't it? That's pretty predictable. But, but hang on, there's an awful lot more to it than that, because the argument is very thorough. You see, one of the problems is that we haven't seen the difference between wisdom and understanding. And if you read the wisdom literature of the Bible, Proverbs and Ecclesiastes and others, then you will find that wisdom and understanding are used interchangeably. In fact, the first two verses of the book of Proverbs do exactly look, look that. If you've got a Bible, why don't you open Proverbs chapter 1? Excuse me. Proverbs chapter 1 and verses 1 or 2. This is the introduction to the book. Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. Verse 2. For attaining wisdom and discipline... For understanding words of insight. What's the difference between wisdom and understanding? And what's it all got to do with God? Well, the answer actually is quite profound. Because the Bible is really very realistic about us as human beings. That's where it comes from. Right at the start of the Bible, in Genesis chapters 1, 2, 3, and 4, the Bible describes how we were created and then how we rebelled rejected God, and how actually as human beings we keep on rejecting Him. And as a result, we are alienated from God. And actually, lost. Not so far from the stragglers on the desert island in many ways. We don't know which way to go, but we just know that we don't want to go His way most of the time. We can't see all the issues, but we just know that we want our own decisions. And yet his plan is to rescue us and bring us back into relationship with him and by his grace, restoring humanity to what it should be, living in proper context of his being God. And he has done that, made that possible by sending his son to die for us on a cross and to rise again from the dead, giving us living hope. Uh, the Bible's whole frame is, we are rebels lost who need rescuing. He has sent Jesus to rescue us. That is the Bible's frame. And with that in mind, therefore, uh, chuck in the question, what is wisdom in that frame of reference? 
And what is understanding? Well, actually, you get this. That understanding or knowledge are recognizing who and what we are. That we are treasured creatures of the amazing, loving creator of the universe. That is understanding. And wisdom is the skill to put that understanding into practice. You might call it skill in the art of godly living. Living out who we are and to whom we belong. Now, we don't have time to look at it fully this morning, but, but let me just give you an echo so that you've got some, something to pin this on. The descriptions of lady wisdom are found in, uh, there's a really helpful one in Proverbs chapter 8, we're not going to look at, but let me ask you to turn to John chapter 1 for a second in the New Testament, and you'll see, uh, fourth book in the New Testament, John chapter 1, a description of the Lord Jesus. If you were here in Goldney, I'd ask you to turn to page 748 of the church Bible if you have a blue Bible, but uh, you're not, so I can't do that, but I can encourage you to look at John chapter 1. Now, here we go. John chapter 1 and verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning, and through Him all things were made, and without Him nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. Jump to verse 9. The true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent or of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us, and we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came came from the Father, full of grace and truth. If you read later on Proverbs chapter 8, you will find that that's almost an identical or similar description of wisdom. Light of the world, shining in darkness, darkness not overcoming it, life found in wisdom, coming to the world and the world has rejected it, and so on and so on. The point is this, that real wisdom always comes back to knowing that the Lord is God under whom we must live, living life in a proper context that God is God, recognizing that. That you and I don't have the skill to properly navigate a broken, complex world without Him, because actually you and I were never designed to navigate any world without Him. Which is why both here in the Bible and in multiple other places, here in Proverbs and in multiple other places in the Bible, we're told that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. In other words, you have to start with the Lord. Why? Well, look at verse 6 of our passage in Proverbs 2. The reason is, verse 6, for the Lord gives wisdom, and from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. See, as you and I receive God's word and treasure it, that is, as we, as we put into practice living in the light of His being God and the grace and forgiveness you and I receive through faith in Christ, so here we find real wisdom, the skill to properly navigate a broken world. It's from His mouth that we have written down in His Word. From His mouth 
comes the proper context of who we are and to whom we belong. If I want to know who I am, there's no point in my looking in the Encyclopedia Britannica, it will, or even in the internet, it will, it will give me a description. Britannica will give me uh, a scientific description of enough phosphorus to make a match and enough this to make that and so on and so on. Yeah, uh, the science is fine, but, but who are you? Who are you really? Google will give me some psychobabble, no doubt, but who am I really? In the proper context, <coughs> he alone is the one who knows everything. I can't even see beyond the horizon. He is the one who sees everything. He is the one who understands everything. And he is the one who the Bible says can do anything except lie. And so it's no surprise that he can speak and give me the skill to navigate a broken world because he's the one who made the world that we broke in the first place and he owns it and he has a plan. Living any other way but his is bound to end up with disaster. When actually we can thrive. That's the next point, thrive. If, then thrive. Look at verse 7. He holds victory in store for the upright. He is a shield to those whose walk is blameless. For he guards the course of the just and protects the way of the faithful ones. Then you will understand what is right and just and fair, every good path. It is great to thrive like that. But hold on. There is a mistake we can make here if we're not careful. You see, it's really easy to believe that wisdom is much more about living well in God's world than it is about living well with Him. In other words, it's easy to misunderstand that you can live a successful life rather than, well, rather than anything else. That's not actually the point that's being made. Remember I said the Bible is very realistic about us? But it also communicates His plan. Our world is really keen on us living successful lives, isn't it, most of the time? That's what government policy is all about. And we're going to see, starting next week, uh, in the book of Ecclesiastes, how the world hopelessly defines success. And we'll think more about that in due course. But, but no, that isn't what's being said here. You see, true wisdom isn't about live, just living well in creation. It's about living out God's work of redemption in creation, and on into eternity, forever. Verse 8 describes it for us, living in the light of the Lord's presence. Verse 9 describes for us, living out His character. And verses 10 and 11 summarize it really well. For wisdom will enter your heart, and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will protect you, and understanding will guard you. I don't just want to live a boring, wise life, and I'm sure you don't either. I want to thrive. I do, I really want to thrive. Sometimes I want peace to thrive. And I'm sure you can relate to that, but but I want to know how to live, to work, 
to honor God, and in so doing well, to thrive. And we saw it, didn't we? A few moments ago when we shared with the children, the wise man and the foolish man, one who built his house on a rock, one who built his house on sand, what did they do? They assessed the context. They made their decisions according to the information that they were given, according to the wisdom that was shared with them. And one put it into practice and built his house where he would live and thrive and live out his days on a rock that would not fall. That's not to say that the brokenness of the world wouldn't attack him. That's not to say that there wouldn't be problems and cracks and issues further down the road. It isn't to say that it wouldn't need repainting from time to time. No, but it is to say that he could thrive when compared with the one who built his house on sand, who at the first sign of trouble had just collapsed. This one was so much easier to build. But this one thrived. Don't you want to thrive? If you're a young person, don't you want to thrive? If you're a student when you go to uni, don't you want to thrive? I'll tell you now, your, your uni mates uh, and, and classmates and lecture mates will be building their houses and their lives on sand, pouring it all down their throats as if there's no tomorrow, Snuff, smoking it up, swallowing the tablets, whatever it is. It looks so easy, but they're building their lives on sand. When actually as a Christian, you can thrive by living out your life as someone who is redeemed, who knows where the rock is. The wise man built his house on rock, with the, which the Lord Jesus said is a picture of those who hear his words Trust what he has said and done and put them into practice. The foolish man built his house on sand, which, as the Lord Jesus said, is a picture of someone who hears his words but does not put them into practice. They start out looking the same but end up in very different places. If, then, thrive, that's good. But there is an alternative. The alternative is the if only of regret and a shipwrecked life. We've all had some taste of what that feels like a little bit. The if onlys of regret, of, of unwise paths that actually turn out to be hugely destructive both to us and to others. There's times when you've got to make a decision about what to do and somehow you find that you've ignored wisdom and chosen the, the wrong path and that's full of regret. It was an unwise path. We've all step down that line in some ways. Of course, the good news of the gospel of the Lord Jesus, <laughs> that Proverbs doesn't contain in this section, the good news of the gospel of the Lord Jesus is that we have a gospel of fresh starts. And as we put our trust in Jesus as Lord, we, we can make a fresh start with God again. And can I say again? And again. But in the bare bones of what is wisdom... Verses 12 to 19 of our passage describe them. Describe the sort of chaos that wisdom will save us from. If you have a Bible or a Bible app, look at verses 12 to 19 of Proverbs 2. He writes, Wisdom will save you from the ways of wicked men and from those whose words are perverse. 
who will leave the straight paths to walk in dark ways, who delight in doing wrong and rejoice in the perverseness of evil, whose paths are crooked and who are devious in their ways. It will save you also from the adulteress, from the wayward wife, from her seductive words, who has left her partner of her youth and ignored the covenant she made before God. For her house leads down to death and her paths into the spirit of the dead. No one who goes to her returns or attains the path of life. it, it, it's, again, it's, a, it's a, a caricature of, of unwise paths. Just one couple of examples, the way to describe unwise paths. This book of Proverbs describes many others, which we're not going to look at now. But we can get the point, can't we? As you and I roll forward into September, uh, and the schools go back, and the new academic year starts, and the strange new normal of COVID-19 restrictions, and the even greater uncertainties of a broken world learning to live with a pandemic, you and I are going to be faced with choices. Many, many choices. Children going back to school will be faced with choices of how to behave, of where they put the security, of whether or not to show off to their classmates, of whether or not to do what the teacher says, of how to cope with the angst and the anxiety of going back. But a child who knows Jesus knows he's with him. Young people, God is not just at home. He's with you in school too. You can trust Him. You can love Him. You can apply His Word. As He tells you that the wise thing to do is to tell the truth. And the wise thing to do is to ask for advice. Sixth formers going back to school or college will face the choice of how to use their time and God-given talents and, and what morality to apply as they turn into adults. What will you choose? To build your house on sand that at the first sign of trouble will collapse? Or to build your house on rock? This is harder work. It looks boring initially, until you see that this one has collapsed. Students, similarly, going off to uni will be faced with choices of how to live. I've already described. Workers going back to work will be faced with choices of how to work, maybe where to work or not, and how to respond. The unemployed faced with the real difficult choices of how to find a job and what to do in these difficult circumstances for our our country's economy. And we're praying for you. Retired folks are faced with choices of how to spend their time and whether for some to come outside at all in these circumstances. All of us are faced with choices. Where do we find wisdom? And will we receive it and treasure it and practice it? Do you want to live an if-then-thrive sort of a life or an if-only life of regret? Which one do you want? Do you know... Our motto verse for this year, as I've pondered uh, this passage of Proverbs, our motto verse for this year as a church holds the key for living the second half of the year and beyond. Let me read to you our motto verse for this year as I close, and just a little bit beyond it. It's from Colossians chapter 1. It's where I stopped reading earlier on at the start of our time together this morning. And the Apostle Paul writes of his proclamation, Christ in you, the hope of glory, we proclaim him, 
admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone perfect in Christ. To this end I labor, struggling with all his energy which so powerfully works in me. I want you to know how much I'm struggling for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not met me personally. My purpose, says Paul, is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. To know Christ is to know all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. To know him better. To apply the context of our lives and the words of his word to live out day by day, moment by moment. Let's pray together. We thank you, Father, that in the Lord Jesus are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. We pray that we would be people who are wise by knowing him increasingly well and who are more like him every day as we live out who he is and what he says and what he's done for us on the cross. We commit ourselves to you and pray for you to be glorified as we are wise in his name. Amen.